This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Uh, baseball Thursday. We've never had a baseball Thursday. I've never called Thursdays baseball Thursday before. Well, it is now. It is now. I don't know whether we're ever going to have another baseball Thursday, but we're going to do one today. The, uh, I will. Uh, I will check with the producer. I'd like to meet him someday and have a few <laughs> words with him. I tell you what, he's a hard ass. I can tell you that right now. He's a hard ass. Uh, it's Bob McCowan. It's uh, John Shannon on the program for this Thursday. And uh, speaking of baseball. Um, Blue Jays lose to Boston last night, so the opportunity to leap ahead of the Red Sox in the American League East was lost. Uh, however, we are going to have a conversation about uh, baseball and um, probably predominantly Blue Jays uh, because our guest will be uh, the voice of the Blue Jays on uh, Sportsnet. Buck Martinez will join us after these messages. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. Uh, and we're back. It's uh, Bob McCown. It's John Shannon with the uh, program for this Thursday. And uh, joining us from Florida is uh, the voice of the Blue Jays, uh, Buck Martinez. You look beautiful and you got a haircut. What else is new? Got a haircut. The uh, wind is blowing, man. It's been blowing yeah. hard. That ball's flying out of the ballpark. And uh, I guess, this, you know, I haven't been here this time of the year very often, so it's a little different for me. So the team is getting ready to move to Buffalo. Right. Um, explain as best you can <laughs> why that is important beyond weather, because we do know it gets really hot in, uh, in Florida, yeah. and you do get those late afternoon rain showers almost every day but rain um, showers you call them rain showers oh smokes they're more than rain showers you get you get a deluge for about a half an hour there you uh, go thank you is that the reason is weather well there's a couple of reasons and weather has a lot to do with it Uh, how many times do you remember when the jays or tropicana field were lightning and thunder and everything going around (laughs) about 6 37 o'clock but Uh, There's a couple of things, and uh, we have seen it lately how the stadium has really affected play on the field, not simply because it's a spring training facility, but because there's no second deck. So the ball coming off the bat, there's no background for the outfielders, especially the Phillies have had trouble here. The Red Sox have had trouble here. The Blue Jays have had trouble here, and they play here more than anybody. But that second deck in Buffalo is going to be a little bit better background for the outfielders and the defensive players overall. Uh, But it is largely to do with the weather. And you know what? To their credit, the Blue Jay players have kept their mouths shut about the ballpark. 
And you know what? They they knew they had to deal with it. They've done a terrific job of dealing with it. They've played very well here, but it's time to go to Buffalo. And Buffalo is not a big league ballpark either, but it's better than playing in Dunedin. You know, Buck, you, you talk about the, the, the second deck. I, in watching a little bit last night early in the game, the sun played a tremendous factor, particularly in left field, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did. And you know, John, early on, these games started at 6.30. And then we had a ground ball that was lost in the sun. A couple of line drives that were lost hold in on, the sun. Hold on. A ground ball lost in the sun. Absolutely. Joe Panic was at third base. A bouncing ball came in his direction. He never saw it because he was looking directly into the sun. So since then, they have put up a sunscreen at the top of the section behind the Blue Jays dugout, but they moved the time start back an hour, but you know, the sun won't stay in one spot as we know. So first innings have been a real challenge for Gurriel out in left field. So yeah, you know, he lost another ball here in this Boston series, but uh, all of those things combined, uh, it's time to move on. Dunedin TD ballpark here served its purpose very well, but it's certainly time to move on. Well, one of the things we're going to see, I think, for the first time, correct me if I'm wrong, is fans in the stands yes. in, in Buffalo, because we didn't see that at all last year. No, no. And then that'll be a big boost as well. You know, a lot of these teams are starting to have uh, full capacity. The Red Sox are going to open up their ballpark on the 29th to full capacity. The entire state of Massachusetts is lifting all restrictions on the 29th. Restaurants wow. will be open. Stores will be open to ballparks. Uh, I know the hockey team and the NBA team, the Celtics, they're a little bit disappointed. It's not going to happen until the 29th because they could both be out of the playoffs before they have fans inside their buildings. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we shall see. Although the, uh, the um, Bruins are what up? Uh, up in the series 2-1 now, John? 2-1, yeah, the one last night. All, yeah. all three games have gone to overtime. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about this ball club. Uh, I, I got to tell you, the more I see this team, the more I like this team. Um, we know it's not a complete ball club yet. It's not a – I mean, you never know, but uh, the starting pitching is still a work in progress. Um, but we are also are getting close to that 60-game mark now, Buck, where general managers generally start evaluating their their talent and start talking about possible moves. The dilemma the Blue Jays have is they still need a, a, a I was going to say front of the rotation guy, but I mean, you, you need a number three or a number four at the very least. They're really hard to come by, aren't they? Yes, they sure are. And you know what? They thought they probably had a solid number four, maybe a number five in Nate Pearson at the start of spring training. Then he gets hurt. Now he's had setbacks and yeah, he's a long way away. Uh, Thomas Hatch is going to be an option very soon. Uh, he had an elbow impingement in spring training. He's going to go uh, stretch out in AAA. He'll probably need three or four starts in AAA, but he's a legitimate starter. I think he can do a good job. I think we have seen Ross Stripling now, and, and we know what Ross Stripling is, and they need a replacement for him. He's got an ERA over seven. And, you know, he gives you everything he has, but unfortunately that's not going to work in the AL East. So with Matt Ryu and uh, Robbie Ray, they've got three solid starters and they've pitched very well. But, uh, you know, everybody's on this Alec Manoa train and I'm not there yet. He's got 35 professional innings, 35. And hold on. Hey, Buck, Buck, the guy you're talking to over there in the red shirt, he's on this train. 
So he, he better not he better not say he better not he better not today say well Bucky you're absolutely right because Bob's been cocked talk because you know that he's, is a he's phrase I have never used with Martinez in absolutely. these 30, 30, 40 years I've known him. He's never said I'm right, John. So don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched him pitch last night against Wooster, and it's the second time he's pitched against him. Wooster has like 150 strikeouts already. They have a terrible team. He wasn't very good, and he got 10 strikeouts in six innings. AAA has never been a wider gap between AAA and the big leagues. And, yeah, and I like the kid. I think the kid's going to be a fine pitcher. It's just a matter that he can't, he can't pitch uh, right now. He's not ready. Uh, a lot of the strikeouts he got last night, this Boston lineup would have killed him the way he was throwing the pitches. He was up in the zone with his fastball. His breaking ball was kind of spinning. But he got 10 strikeouts in AAA. So I think we have to pump the brakes a little bit on Alec Manoa. And, um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a fine pitcher. I think he's going to, you know, if he has another six or seven starts and he's continuing to have success, give him a shot. I have no problem with that. Oh, well, that's good. So we're on the same page because I'm not, I, I didn't even mention his name. You did, but I was going to. And probably from that perspective, you know, in talking about we're getting the 60, the 60 game mark or thereabouts. When you get to 80, get halfway through the season, Manoa may have shown enough that you, you could give him a look. And I know, yeah. you, and you would concede this, there are going to be a lot of baseball people who would just arbitrarily say, no, you got to yeah. leave him. That he's in AAA is a big advance, and I agree. But you got to leave him there for the, for the balance of the year. You don't want him to get knocked around like Pearson did coming up to the big leagues. But the kid looks pretty good, and the Blue Jays have a need and may not be able to get a starter from anywhere else. Uh, let me let me tell you something and give you my evaluation of Manoa and Simeon Woods Richardson. There's another For one. For me, Simeon Woods Richardson has a wider arsenal of pitches than Alec Manoa. And he's got a better command of his breaking ball. He's got a bigger curveball. He's got, uh, he might have more pitchability than Manoa at this time. And he's only 20 and he's in double A. So, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. Rarely do we see Doc Goodens come along or Brett Saberhagen or teenagers that come up and dominate. Uh, you know, years ago, they tried to get these guys like David Clyde right to the big leagues and all of that. And those were disasters. And once you set them back, you're running the risk of losing them as a prospect. So mm -hmm. I think you need to just build on the foundation, build on it, bring him up when, uh, when he says he's ready. And, you know, just because he's striking out 10 a game doesn't tell me he's ready. Look at how many strikeouts there are in the big leagues. So I mm -hmm. think you have to allow him time to learn how to pitch, learn how to handle the runners, learn how to field his position, learn how to prepare in between starts. And this kid is a novice, 35 innings in professional baseball. Let's, uh, well, the, the, but, but Buck, would – if the organization announced he's not coming up at all this year, stop thinking about it, stop talking about it, would you have any objection? Uh, I would, John, because I think that would take the incentive away from the kid. Okay. You know, I can say, you know, the media, can, they can tell the media, hey, you know, we like the kid. We know he's going to pitch in the big leagues. We don't know when he's going to pitch in the big leagues, but we're encouraged by his progress and we'll continue to monitor what he's doing in the minors. But I don't think you say, no, he can't come up because what happens if he does come together in July and you mm -hmm. pick him up in July, August, and September, then you got something. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any restrictions on him. I think you would deflate him too much. Okay. 
So a, a question came up for me uh, just the other day, and I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you're here to talk about it because I wanted I wanted to talk to you about it one way or the other. You, we all know that we are in a completely different era in the game. Even though we've seen a couple of no hitters, even though we've seen some complete six games. six no hitters. Yeah, I'm gonna um, say seven. Bumgarner's is a no hitter in my mind too. All right. <laughs> um, the Blue Jays haven't come close to having a guy throw a complete game. Uh, I want to say Ryu the other night with seven innings might be the longest stint of any pitcher so far this year. Buck, is am I wrong in that? No, Robbie Ray's gone seven too. Oh, he did go seven. Yeah, but. Big difference between seven and nine. Oh, absolutely. But and but you you caught in an era when uh, complete games were not a rarity. In fact, they were what you hoped for and legitimately hoped for that you wouldn't use the bullpen at all. And here's and I know guys now throw a lot harder and uh, than they used to. Um, did you ever consciously pace a pitcher based on the pitches you called? understanding that part of the agenda was to get that guy to stay in there as long as possible. Oh, absolutely. Do you think that even, does that happen at all now? No, no. It's uh, go out there and throw as hard as you can for as long as you can. And we'll come and get you in the sixth. (laughs) (laughs) Or fifth or fourth. that's, That's the game. And you know what? I believe I caught the last four man rotation in Toronto. 1984, we had a four-man rotation, and it was a terrific staff. And then, you know, and the relievers were the bad pitchers on your team. You might have had one guy that was a closer. In Kansas City in 69, we had Mo Drabowski. He was a veteran. He came from the World Series champ for Orioles. But everybody else down in the bullpen, they were guys that were going to pitch every day. If it comes and you pitch as long as you can, it wasn't like, well, you got the six, you got the seventh, you got the eighth. One pitcher started and you hope the second guy finished. And that was the way it was, whether you were up or down. And, you know, saves didn't become really official until what, 69. And Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, now we're building guys that can pitch the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. Instead of saying, you're a pitcher, they're supposed to be in better shape than they've ever been. I think we've only had about six instances where a relief pitcher has thrown three consecutive days in a row all season long, all across baseball. And it's just, I think, I don't think they're training them right. I don't think they're getting ready in spring training. And and just look at the Blue Jays. They didn't hit anything in April. All of a sudden they get to May and they're taking off and everybody says, wow, they're really doing a good job in May. Well, maybe if they had all those April at-bats in March, they'd have a good April too. But mm. they don't. 50 at-bats in spring training, that's the max. And that's universal. It's all yeah, you used to, you know, with the common phrase was you used to go to spring training to get in shape, and now they expect you to be in shape when you get there. And then immediately upon arrival, they're worried about how many innings you're playing. Yeah, and they don't play. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's it. I mean, look at the pitcher's innings in spring training, and it's, it's 13 and 14. It's like, what are we doing? Jack Morris told me this story, and we've probably talked about this before. In 1984, when they got off to that great start, mm-hmm. he had two complete games in spring training. In April, he pitched six games, had five complete games in April, including a no-hitter. He was <laughs> ready for the season. 
No, it's mind-boggling, and I'm 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 glad I'm glad somebody of your level of experience and expertise. Well, but nobody listens to me. Well, they don't listen to me either. Clearly. <laughs> oh, well, there are there are about five or six hundred thousand listen most nights, Buck. So that's okay. But but so so is there is is there is there a simple answer to this? Is that that you know that teams just want velocity and they're they're prepared to risk the arm no matter what, rather yes. than endurance. Absolutely. That's it. And another thing is, too, what gets me is with all of these brilliant minds running baseball across the board, and they're wonderfully smart, they dialed into the information, they've got more data than ever. When is somebody going to say, maybe this isn't working? We've got 150 to 200 guys on the injured list right now. Maybe these techniques aren't working. Maybe we need to go out and run foul poles back and forth and the pitchers don't lift weights and the baseball players get on the field and take infield. And maybe those things were pretty good because guys used to take pride in playing every day. So they'd play nine innings. They'd have a couple of beers after the game. They'd go home. They wouldn't lift weights. They'd get a good night's rest. They'd get up in the morning and play golf. Then they'd come to the ballpark and play 162 games. Well, if you show a if you th- show a major league pitcher ninety five mile an hour fastballs or a batter a ninety five mile an hour fastballs every day, eventually he's going to figure out how to hit the ninety five mile an hour fastball. Um, if you show him, you know, eighty five, and then he sees ninety all of a sudden, he goes, "Whoa, I got to work figure out how to catch up." Everybody's throwing ninety five now, Buck. The Blue What's Jays the number have the, that guys can't hit. The Blue Jays have the perfect example of what you're talking about. Yanjin Ryu. Mm. 90 tops. Yeah. Tops. Tops. But it's so back and forth. I mean, he makes great hitting ball clubs look silly. And it gets me. And this used to baffle me as well. When Greg Maddox was at the top of his game. The perfect example. Nobody yeah. ever said, why don't we pitch like Greg Maddox? They said, oh, Maddox is so different. You know, instead of saying, wait a minute, what's he doing? How about if I locate my pitches and change speeds and move the ball around? And, and Tom Seaver, the great Tom Seaver, has said it all his whole life. There are three components of pitching. Velocity, location, and changing speeds. And he said the least important of those is velocity. velocity. Yeah. Well, so, so can you can you pinpoint, Buck, uh, was there one team that changed this? It was where in the last... 20 years where when did this i mean we we all have read moneyball we've all seen the movie moneyball is it that simple is, no, is it all bill is it all bill james stuff is it all theo epstein stuff well it's a combination of all of those things but uh, you'll remember when roger clemens pitched at roger center sure. tried him at the time he never allowed the velocity to be put up on the radar on this video jumbotron when he was pitching you know what i better know what he was throwing Jordan Romano told us every day, every time he throws a pitch, he turns around to see how hard it was. Mm. So, you know, different philosophy entirely. Totally. And you know what? There's a great article. Let me think of where it was. MLB.com, I believe, about strikeouts. And they have Nolan Ryan, Reggie Jackson, uh, Ryan Zimmerman, uh, a lot of former and current athletes talking about the strikeouts. And how Reggie hated to strike out. And he said, nobody struck out more than me, but I hated it. George Brett said, the worst thing I ever did as a ball player was strike out. And there was so much uh, negativity surrounding the strikeout that 
you know, nobody look at you twice. So you, you strike out twice now, it's like, oh, no big deal. You, you'll hit a home run next week. And it's, it's, that's just the way it is. And it's been so de-emphasized contact. But what you're seeing, and we're seeing it more this year than I've seen it in the past, and I'm surprised it's taken so long, hitters are going the opposite way. They're mm -hmm. hitting against the shift. McGuire had a bunt against the shift last night. Biggio did it a couple days ago. Uh, Teoscar's going to right. Randall's going to right. Simeon, who's a dead poor hitter, hit a double to right last night. Two nights ago, they had 18 hits. Ten of them went to the opposite field. Just going to say that, yep. So, you know, it's changing, but it's amazing how long it's taken to change. And you can't tell me, and these hitters will say, oh, you don't understand how hard it is to hit today. No, you don't understand how hard it is to hit when you don't have elbow pads, Bob Gibson's throwing at your head, and you know he's throwing at your head. <laughs> Willie Mays used to get knocked down every single time when Gibson was on the mound. Every time. And not Gibson, excuse me. Drysdale would knock Willie Mays down. Oh, sure. Willie McCovey, Willie McCovey would hit a home run off Drysdale, and the Giants would win two to nothing. <laughs> but that's when it was hard to hit. If you took a big swing against Louis Tiant, he would knock you down. You didn't even have to hit it. You just took a big swing. Hey, you're swinging too hard. Nowadays, that's like everybody spins on everything. And all this nonsense about this Yurene uh, Mercedes swinging 3-0 and against a position player. It's like, come on. Well... You know, but no, sexy. Where are you? Where are you on that? On the on the Larusa stuff? Where? What's your thought process? It's like, you know, Larusa said he gave him the take sign. If he did, then shame on Mercedes. But they're putting a position player in there and basically conceding the game, and they're embarrassing their own team by doing that. I don't think you have any restrictions as a hitter. You have no responsibility when you're hitting against a position player. You don't sure. want to make an out against a position player. And just because he's three and zero, I don't think you say, "Oh, I, I'm not going to swing now." It's no rules. Position player. I pitched in a game where we had four innings pitched by a position player. Sal Bando pitched two, Jim Gannon pitched one, and I pitched the eighth. And you know, we were trying to get people out. They were trying to hit us. Well, every position player that I've ever talked to that pitched in the game talked about his knuckleball. No, I didn't throw a knuckleball. Because, well, I it was walked, like I walked Willie Wilson to start the inning, though. <laughs> <laughs> Intentionally or otherwise? Oh no, otherwise. <laughs> hey, hey, we're uh, we we touched on it earlier that there are six no hitters so far in Major League Baseball this year already. You say seven because of the Baumgartner one in Arizona. Yeah, but why? Why? I mean, why? Why is this happening? so frequently this season more than any other you know what pat asked me that last night on the air and i thought it was a heck of a question what is it pitchers more dominant or hitters just swinging from their heels every time i think it's a combination of both um we saw garrett richards last night in game two in the boston series and uh, he had filthy stuff and his fastball was moving everywhere he had a great breaking ball and yeah that's tough to hit but when you choke up on a bat with two strikes, put the ball in play, and I know choking up, people are going to go, what's choking up? But you have bat control, and you cover, you know, protect the strike zone, and all of that's not even part of the game anymore. So to answer your question, I think it's a combination of both. I think there's too many swings and misses in the game offensively, right. and right. pitchers are throwing harder. All right. I, I, here's another one that came up, and I was just reminded of it. 
did you have, I know you had multiple bats in the dugout. All players do. You'll have probably half a dozen. No, they would only give me one. <laughs> <laughs> did it have a hole in the, in, in they the said middle if of it's it? broke, you have to use it. So you're not yeah. getting another one. <laughs> So I had, I honestly, when I was playing as a kid, I, I had two bats and one was about four ounces lighter than the other one. Oh yeah. And the, the issue was if, if the guy was a hard thrower, I was going to take the lighter bat and just try and get a base hit. And if the guy, if I thought I could get around on him, I take the heavier bat because when I made contact, it went further. Does anybody do that? No. Okay. No. So why? Uh, because they're creatures of the batting coach. They're taught by the numbers. There's no uh, baseball instincts. There's no feel into the game. And that's why you see so many called strikes, mm. called strike threes, because they're looking for a percentage pitch because of the information they got before the game. So they're thinking on 43% of the time with two strikes, he's going to throw me a breaking ball, and they take one right down the middle because they're so programmed. Another thing they don't do is they don't move around in the batter's box according to who's pitching. We used to stand in the front of the batter's box against Tommy John and in the back of the batter's box against Nolan Ryan. Well, you wanted to get to the breaking ball before it broke, right? Yeah. Well, that as, as much as possible. That cut fastball he used to throw with all of those nicks on it, and he would sink it down there, and you'd have to hit it before it sank. There were no nicks on. He he claimed there were no nicks on that ball. <laughs> there were no nicks on that ball. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have he didn't have a file in his back. And Whitey, Whitey Ford didn't have one either. No, it was uh, <laughs> these guys scuffed up balls and everything. I mean, nowadays think about it. You talk about hitting being tougher now. These guys get a pearl. Every pitch, every yeah. pitch, every pitch, something hits the dirt, they throw it out of the game. I mean, we used to wait for a ball to hit in the dirt to scuff it up and throw it back to the pitcher. Hell yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'm sounding awful uh, old now, aren't I? Yeah, get <laughs> off my lawn, Buck. Get <laughs> off my lawn. We probably all are sounding a little old here, but, <laughs> but there are things in the game, and I think we're all very appreciative of the skill level of the players and uh, the, the, the physical fitness that they have. But there comes a point the Toronto Blue Jays spent a gazillion dollars along with the city in Dunedin to build a, what I'm told is a magnificent uh, facility down in Beautiful. Dunedin. Beautiful yeah. structure. I, yeah. I've, I haven't seen it personally, but I've, I've got the video tour of it. And you sit here and you look at what's happening with injuries and you go, well, how is, how do you explain this? How do you explain this? advanced scientific process that they're putting these players through and yet they're not holding up they're no. breaking they're breaking down and, and i don't have the explanation and nobody else seems to well and that's the question and nobody's answering is this working no it's not working and you know what they have nutritionists they have uh, all kinds of uh, tests they have all sorts of benchmarks they want to hit they have uh, baseline testing to make sure where you're at. They have these things that they wear, the vests that monitor their every move on the field during spring training. And you know, how many throws? Well, you threw too many throws today and you threw too many at this percentage, you should back off a little bit. It's a game of baseball. Mm -hmm. Baseball is unique in that you can't muscle 
another guard like you can in football. You can't run over a linebacker like you can in football. It's a finesse game. Mm -hmm. It's about speed and grace and balance and explosive power and small steps and quick steps. But you can't go into the weight room and lift weights and get tired and have fatigue. I think fatigue has more to do with injuries than anything because these guys work out before the game. They hit 500 swings before the game. They will take flips after the game. They lift weights after the game. When do they rest? It's a great point. I don't have the answer to it. I'll tell you what I do. No, we, we have to take a quick break and we'll come back with more. Buck Martinez is with us back after these messages. Bob McCown, John Shannon, and uh, the voice of the Blue Jays, Buck Martinez, uh, is with us from Dunedin, Florida. So there's a lot to like on this Blue Jay team this year. Indeed. Um, and, and every night you see something a little bit different. Who's been the most impressive to you? Is there Vladdy? Vladdy still? Yeah. Absolutely. The difference between what he was last year and the year before to what he is now, dramatically different. And he's, he's grown up. He's reached a maturity level, I think, that's going to serve him well the rest of his career. If he recognizes and acknowledges the, the growth he's had from last year to this year and says to himself, I can do even more, then I think we're going to see what we thought he would be initially. He has played great at first. He's running the base as well. He's not trying to hit home runs. He's having consistently good swings and he's playing with a joy. I think that's infectious and affecting everybody else on the team. Uh, actually, you talked about first base. How much influence does the fact that he has adapted well to first base has helped him at the plate? Say that again, John. Well, just I, I'm just wondering, like he's gone to first base and played much better, I think, than a lot of people have anticipated. Right. And that's a that's probably a relief to him more than anybody else. And how much of a relief has that has helped him at the plate to be more relaxed? It's dramatic. It has a big impact. No player wants to be embarrassed. And when you're not playing well in the field and you're making errors, you're still thinking about that when you go to the plate. And I think his personality is perfectly suited to play first base. You remember Sean Casey when he was playing uh, first base for the Reds, they called him Mr. Mayor because he'd get the first base and welcome everybody down to first. How's your family? How you doing? Everything good. <laughs> Glad he's got that same personality. And you can see him going the interactions with the other players. He's having a blast over there at first base. And I think you're right on. It uh, has a lot to do with his comfort level. He's confident. He's made one error at first base, and it was a silly error. And he laughed about it and told me the other day, he said, you know, I dropped the ball, and then I picked it up like with my first baseman's mitt. He said, that's how we used to catch fish in the Dominican. We'd trap them on the bottom of the beach. <laughs> I said, well, don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, it is, it is really, you know, for a guy who uh, was the subject of great criticism when he played third base for his defensive performance, there were many, and, and I may have been one of them, who wondered whether he was a, a DH um, real quickly. Yeah. Maybe, oh, yeah. couldn't he, maybe couldn't be good enough to play first base. And he has been spectacular. If there comes a point where he gets a gold glove at first base, it wouldn't shock me, Buck. No, Louis Rivera mentioned that the other day. He said he's going to win a gold glove. And I, you know, I'm old enough that I, and I know you'll remember this name, Vic Power. 
Of course. Vic, Vic Power was a terrific fielding first baseman from Puerto Rico. And I told Louie to tell uh, Vladdy about Vic Power, Victor Payor in, uh, in Puerto Rico, but he was a tremendous fielding first baseman and a right-handed fielder and a power hitter. But Vic Power was the guy I thought about that Vladdy's going to make that same transition. And Louie said it to us the other day. He said he's going to win a gold glove one of these days. Well, he's comfortable. Is the left side of the infield getting more comfortable too? I think so. And, and Bo and Kevin have both had their issues, and we've talked about that. And I think Bo made one of the wisest statements I've ever heard from a young player. He told us, I want to learn how to handle my failures in the field as well as I handle my failures at the plate. Mm. That's a great mm. statement. Think about that. He said, I learned how to handle my failures in double A at the plate. I learned to let it go, over for 4, go home, get a good night's rest, come back, get him tomorrow. He said, I'm not there yet with my fielding. And we have seen it in dramatic improvement. They have done a couple of drills that have made him more comfortable. And, um, you know, he's going to get it because he wants to be great. He wants to be a shortstop and he is motivated. And this kid is really special. And because he made so many errors early on, we thought about, well, is he as good as we think he is? And now you have to really evaluate who he is, where he is in his career. He just has over 100 major league games, and mm -hmm. he's done things historically that not many people have done. So I think you have to recognize that, that these kids are just learning, but they're passionate and they want to be good players. I think one thing that we have seen that plays true year in and year out, fans can be impatient, broadcasters can be impatient, uh, writers can be impatient, managers and GMs can't be impatient. No. They have to be patient and let the things play themselves out. If they have made the right choices and they have selected the right players, you have to give them time to learn how to play in the big leagues. The truth is this. A month ago, conversations were taking place, including on this program, about the feasibility of moving um, Absolutely. Uh, Semyon, Semyon. And, um, yeah. and him switching, having them switch. Yeah. And um, you wouldn't even contemplate that today. No. You know? and, and Simeon has played so well at second. His only error that he's committed all season long was when he was playing third base in a defensive shift with four outfielders, and yeah. he made a mm. bad throw from third. So mm. he's played really well. They've turned a lot of double plays, too. Well, let me – George, I was going to ask you about Simeon because, uh, you know, we are well aware of his history. Uh, you've probably seen him play a lot more than I have because he was in Oakland for those years. Didn't see a lot of the A's play except when they played the Blue Jays. And I don't think Semyon really jumped out at me, to tell you the truth. But when the Blue Jays acquired him, I looked at his statistical back. I said, well, this is a really good ball player. Um, and he got off to a crummy start offensively. And there he was at second base, doing a fine job, but clearly not his preferred position. But he has been extraordinary in the last month or five weeks. Um, this is a guy on a one-year contract, Buck. Yeah. At $18 million, I believe, who probably is making a case for making even more than that next year. Pretty hard for me to see, I don't know about you, uh, the Blue Jays walking away from this guy if he continues to play the way he is. Kenny? I agree with you 100%. I would sign this guy right now for three years because of his performance, because of his character, and the impact he has had on the younger kids around him. He has fit in like a glove. And I hmm. would go right to him right now and say, listen, we know who you are. He had an exceptional year in 19. 
No question about it. I don't know yeah. if he's a 30 home run hitter or not, but he's a good hitter. He's got speed. What he and Bo are doing up the middle, they're as good a middle tandem as there is in baseball with power, speed, extra base hits and everything. They're doing everything anybody would hope to do up the middle. Actually, he's curious. Who, who, who do you think took the bigger risk, Simeon or the Blue Jays? Uh, when you think about the one-year deal, uh, because well, that's that, 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 that's you know, because he he took a risk by I'm sure he could have gotten something long-term for a little less money, but then this is a sport where where players players you know they're, they're not afraid to stand out and try to make a difference to get that next long-term deal, are they? They'll bet on themselves, right? right. And, and I think Marcus saw the opportunity in Toronto was a good one. The team was trending upward. They have a bunch of young talent. And, uh, you know, I mean, this guy's a brilliant guy. You know, he went to Cal. He grew up in the Bay Area. He's a smart guy. He's a guy that fit in. You know, he made about 35 errors his first year at shortstop out in Oakland. And then he started working with Ron Washington, and he became a very good defender. And now to have the character... And I know it's probably part of the deal, but to have the character to say, okay, I will play second, no problem at all. Mm -hmm. And one year he's betting on himself. So I think it might be a bigger risk for Marcus Simeon than the Blue Jays. Right. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, um, the position that uh, you manned for so many years, um, behind the plate, if Kirk doesn't get hurt, I'm not sure we see McGuire again. Uh, right. He, he does, and, then, and McGuire comes up and you get a new appreciation of uh, that. He's a pretty good catcher and actually has hit all right. Um, Kirk at some point he's on the 60 now, but at some point he's going to come back. If that was tomorrow, what would you do? <laughs> That's a loaded question right there. Bobcat. That's a tough be, one though, isn't it? Buck yeah. would be patient. Buck would be patient. Yeah, the thing, yeah, I'd like to think I had that patience when I managed. I'm not so sure I did. But what, I mean, when you look at Reese McGuire and Danny Jansen catching, I, you know, Reese sends a better image to me when he's behind the plate. He looks more confident, looks more comfortable. Danny always looks like he's fighting it. That being said, the Blue Jays have been one of the best teams all across baseball at not giving up wild pitches. These guys, have done a, too. Yeah. they've done a great job of catching the ball. And Danny mm -hmm. loves to work with the pitchers and they like to throw to him. But sooner or later, you got to hit more than 120. Yep. And Reese has shown, I mean, 14 at bats, you know, he's got five I or know. six hits. Yeah. But he's swinging the bat, getting his opportunities, making the most of it. And I think Charlie at this moment is going to lean more on Reese than he is on Danny. And, you know, Danny's going to catch for you. And Reese will probably get his opportunities. And I wouldn't be surprised if he placed two out of three, you know, four out of six, something like that. And Kirk is and young. Alejandro's what, 21 years old or something? Yeah, 22, I think. But yeah, I mean, and I'm still not sold on him. I, I think the catching future is in double A right now. Sure. Gabriel Marino. Yeah. <laughs> any, um, any Springer sightings or updates, uh, Buck? he's shaking For his head listening that, that <laughs> i'm sorry yeah i forgot yeah. okay no uh we see george every day i haven't seen him run 
Uh, I am out to the field and Pat and I are there generally by four o'clock and uh, you know, I haven't seen him run the bases. He's out there taking batting practice. You know, it's the middle of May. Like, come on, what's the problem? And you know, Charlie's even tired of asking about it. You know, Charlie gets to, hey, so how's Springer doing? Well, when he's ready, he'll play. And you know, that's all the manager can say. You can't put a guy in the game if he doesn't tell you he's ready. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I mean, if, if that would have been the case when I was playing and we had a guy like that that was just hanging around and, and it wasn't getting healthy and we'd had that 18-hit game the other day, how McCray would have walked in the locker room and say, way to go, everybody, but George. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that kind of game anymore. No. You no, know, George no. By the way, by the way, I haven't seen Bob run yet ever either. So, yeah, I know it'd be a blur. He, he, he's doing it uh, behind the scenes. <laughs> a blur. That's, it would be a. <laughs> well, you guys can uh, can laugh all you want. Um, would if you were managing this team, would you tell Springer to stay home? Oh yeah, and that's one thing. When you're injured, and that was always the big hangup for us when we played. If you're injured, you're no good to the team. Stay away. Yeah, you got to go away. Go get go get healthy, then come back. And that's yep. the one thing mm -hmm. that's changed nowadays. I mean, everybody is, oh, yeah, he's fine. He's taking BP. How McCray said it many, many times. You're not hitting with us today because you can't play in the game. So, you know, the guys wouldn't even let you hit if you were on the injured list. And it was like, mm -hmm. you're not part of the team. You know, when I broke my leg in 1985, I wanted to get away from the team as fast as I could because I was not part of the team and the players as much a part of that team as I was before I broke my leg. Once I was hurt, I'm off the team and forgotten about the feeling yeah. was mutual. <laughs> <laughs> Martinez get lost. Um, you, you don't have to get lost for us, but we're going to let you go. Um, so uh, all of a sudden now, no more, uh, Calling games from inside the park and looking down, huh? You're gonna have to do it yeah. off a monitor again. I know you've yeah. done it a lot, so but not it's the not end of the fun. World, but it's not fun. I mean, no, I, I like I like getting to the ballpark. I like talking to the players, and even sure with limited do. access, we can talk to players and coaches. And we've talked to Girardi, and we've talked to the other managers when they come into TD Ballpark in Dunedin. But it's uh, it's challenging. But you have to be on your toes, and uh, you know you got we got a great technical crew as we talked about. And, uh, you know, they do a heck of a job to give us everything that they can, but we still miss that standing behind a batting cage, shooting the shit with the players and yep. having a good time, you know, and that's the part of it that we can't do right now. Exactly. Uh, I know you're going to. Hey, you know what, Buck? I tell you what, Buck, you guys make, you and Pat make the games fun to watch under any circumstances. And I'm not saying that just because we know you, you guys do a hell of a job. Oh, I and you and when, even even when Shulman's there, it's okay. Paco, <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks, pal. As always, we'll uh, we'll give you a little break and we'll buggy again somewhere down the road. We thank. I you look forward to it. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks, pal. All right, Buck Martinez. We'll come back to wrap it after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Well, that might have been the most fun conversation I've had with Buck Martinez in a long time because we actually agreed on a lot of stuff. I know. It's, we got to fix that. You know, we I'm have sure to you fix hated it. that. I, we, we you, you always need a little conflict, you know, and the fact that we the, the only thing we really laughed about is the the fact that we neither of us seen you run is well, the key. you know you, you know you know that th- this is irrelevant to the, the the audience in general, but you know, Buck hated me when he was playing for the Blue Jays. He didn't like all the things that I used to say and the and the commentary that I had. Yeah, but you 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 shouldn't you you shouldn't have done it while you're doing the PA. Well, oh my God! Here no. comes Buck Martinez to the plate. Yeah, here's that a short, shouldn't have here's been the way you did it. Yeah, that's right. You shouldn't have done that. And, and you know, you know, when, when we we actually became friends, we we actually played golf together, sat in the same cart together for four or five hours, and it was during that time. It was a little tense at the beginning, but it was during that time that we kind of, I wouldn't say bonded, but um, we came to understand each other, and. Um, he has done a terrific job in transitioning over the last uh, 30 or 40 years into a really good broadcaster. What, what, what I like about Buck is that there's never a level of technicality to his discussion about the sport that um, the regular guy can't understand. I mean, there's a lot of people that are fringe baseball, play, baseball fans that can listen to Buck constantly and really get something out of it. And that, that is so important in the sport because uh, not every person's a baseball fan. Not every right. person right. uh, understands it. You're right. You know? So, yeah. Hey, by the way, Leafs Canadians tonight. Well, I was about to bring that up. Um, and you have already predicted the Leafs will win in three. Uh, yes. It'll take four. Uh, do these mm. Montreal Canadians have any chance whatsoever? Are the Leafs capable of, of choking in the first round again? Oh, hey, listen, anything's possible, but I just, I just don't see it. Uh, I, I just, when you look at the depth of this organization now uh, and, and, and the people that are, are putting the puck in the net, the defense is much better. Uh, they have fixed a few of the flaws. Uh, you know, this Rasmus Sandin has done a really good job as one of their six defensemen. They fixed some of the flaws. I think they fixed their goalie issue. I think Jack Campbell is a better goalie than... Frederick Anderson, uh, right. I, th- I think that uh, I think this is I, I think this Maple Leaf team could uh, could easily go to the third round. So Anderson basically hasn't played for most of the year, which is probably reason enough to start Campbell. But Anderson also has a long history. As long as he's been with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he has not won a series. And you can attach wins and losses to anybody, but in baseball, wins and losses are credited to the pitcher. And in hockey, they're credited to the goaltender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's some legitimacy to that. And Anderson simply hasn't played well enough in the playoffs. If you were coaching the Toronto Maple Leafs, as long as Campbell is not terrible, does he stay in goal? He does for me. You know, all those years, Bob, we used to say that Freddie Anderson, by the time he got the playoffs, well, he's tired. Well, you can't say he's tired now. I just think this is Jack Campbell's team now. And I think it, I think the players play better for Jack Campbell than they do Freddie Anderson. And I think the, the mental side of this game, you can't measure it, but I think you can see it every time Campbell's on the ice. 
We're going to find out starting tonight. That'll do it for us. Again, our thanks to uh, Buck Martinez. Uh, back with more tomorrow, same time, same station. Uh, until then, goodbye, everybody.